welcome to season three of Sundays with Wendy. This season, we take you back to the beginning, sharing the inspiring story of Benjamin Goldberg. Follow along through our mother's lens, the journey that presented an intriguing perspective on life and death. The story is also the heart of our work at the Benjamin Goldberg Foundation. Thank you for listening. To learn more, visit BenjaminGoldbergFoundation.org. Episode 7, Call Me Bobby. We left off describing Ben as an old soul, so there were times it was appropriate to ask his opinion, and the response was always thought-provoking. Standing in line for the train, there was a tap on my shoulder. It was a man in a candy apple red shirt with a luggage cart. Ma'am, you should never wait in line with a child. He motioned us and I took his lead. Who knew it was Amtrak's baggage service in all the major cities to help passengers navigate the station? As we settled in, I thought of my grandmother, talking to her in my mind, asking for something this trip, a pick-me-up. Making the usual rounds, we grabbed dinner and a few items from the drugstore. Skirting the corner, we were just shy of the Italian restaurant. I happened to look down and see a wad of $100 bills. A few feet away, there were more piles. At first, I held back, and then I spun around 360 degrees before picking up the bills near my feet. A woman was crossing the street, and seeing the same, quickly pounced on the ground to grab the rest. I stood there knowing it was a sign, a literal pick-me-up. I decided to buy a sweater with the money for a photo shoot that fall. Standing in the store, he let out a sigh. I had raised him to tolerate well, remembering him in a carrier at the mall when he was only three days old. I stood in the central aisle, my eyes over the racks of clothes when he said, Mom, really, all the clothes look the same. He was right. I was garbled in taupe, oatmeal, cream, and off-white variations. A few weeks later, a photographer was stabling the camera on the stand. I heard, my mom spent $300 on that sweater. I motioned for him to come over and sit with me. We were going to get a good picture. The doctor suggested he talk to the floor therapist. It could help with the effects of living with cancer. He went into the appointment alone. Not 10 minutes had passed, enough time for me to log on to work when the receptionist approached. You can come back. The therapist sat in a chair. Well, he said a lot about his great-grandmother and was adamant about wanting a picture of her in his room. And then he said he was done talking. He always meant what he said and never apologized for how he felt. The treatment that day moved along at a snail's pace. We looked at each other and rolled our eyes in sync. The place was dense, seats and treatment rooms were scarce. I was still, but something moved in Ben. It was no secret I was writing. Mom, write in your book now, he said. I had found in one of his journals the question, what three books would you take to a desert island? And the number one in his writing was Mom's book, Dash Wendy. His observations were keen. He wanted my focus on something. I had to make a work call and left him with his IV pole, joking with the staff like he was one of them. I saw the nurse practitioner. You guys done? No, it just got started, I said. The look in my eyes made her gently grab my shoulder. Go over and sit by the aquarium where it's quiet. I watched the fish swim and it drew me in. The fish, surrounded by the stress and trauma on the exterior of the tank, yet remained harmonious. It was all getting to me, whether I'd hit a wall, my biorhythms were off, or my endurance was waning. Toying with leaving to go home early 
I needed to work and regroup. Ben would be home on the train with his dad a few days later. With a wash of uneasiness, I packed my bags, succumbing to the only thing that was constant, uncertainty. I opened the condo door, rolling my bag behind me, and settled into the dining room chair. Peering around, there were no video games, no school backpack, not a morsel of food on the counter. I was in a lapse of time. Is this what it would look like if he wasn't here? I sat still in the answer, not running from it. In this reoriented space, I may have to experience everything, not steering away when only the congenial parts passed. Leaning in may be the only way. No two trips to New York were the same. I fell hard in bed that night thinking of my grandmother. She had an extraordinary life. Mine felt compressed. I closed my eyes and knew no matter what, she would make sure mine was no less full. And I could not forget to put a picture of her in his room. They were going to do a surgery after suspicion of a recent scan. At home packing, his dad came by. I handed over the suitcase, and his face wore a sign of my distant haunt, asking, Do you still have hope? Yes, I said. The surgeon who had performed the earlier surgery sat before us. We listened as he explained the operation. Laparoscopically, they could go in, and it would be easy to figure if it was something or not. That morning, we were once again in the domain of the first floor waiting room. I allowed myself to become preoccupied until we received news. The surgery had taken longer because of the previous scar tissue, having to go in differently. It was though his eyes could not meet ours. It is encapsulated neuroblastoma. I sat on the couch with my mom and cried. She put her arm around me. He is all I have, I said. She failed to say anything and squeezed me into her. He was feisty in recovery, the surgeon standing at the bedside. Without a breath, he said, You did the surgery all wrong. Why did you do that? Well, you're going to have to take that up with the grievance committee, he said. He had been listening in the pre-op meeting. Did he rise out of his body, break the exoskeleton, and watch? Ben needed to stay until the following Monday for a follow-up appointment. Staring out of the window onto the city, the bristle of glass in the buildings lining the streets appeared in some poetic form. I sat in the only thing in the room that had color, a burnt orange leather chair on dark carpeting. It was my will I had to balance. Who leaves their child in a city after surgery? I never wanted to leave him, but the parts of our lives that sustained us needed my attention, the CPA firm, our home. Pulling away, I peered out the back window. I watched him on the street with his dad crying. I played in my mind a colorful wavelength, an open line between us, a virtual walkie-talkie. And before I got home, I received a video of a blown-up red whoopee cushion behind a stream of continuous laughter. His dad, in his way, would foster him. Carrying it all myself became stale, and I looked to those around me for some guidance. A group of friends had been on the radar. One of them asked, Really, are you home tonight? Yes, I said. The four of us sat around my dining room table in our pajamas. I had to let it out, my worst fear. I'm worried he's going to die. Was there anything heavier to levitate off? They did not try. Instead, they listened, without a word, because there were none. Then a voice slit the hush with an inappropriate joke, and we all broke out into laughter. 
are starting to believe that we are never alone if we allow the love to flow. I considered myself lucky to have so many rich experiences, that of romantic lovers, unconditional love from family and friends, and empathy from a community. From that mental posture, love is the same. We get what we need, even if it's not the dream we conjure in our minds. He had his new glasses on, recently complaining of seeing dots. It completed his look, strong black frames with a slight white outlining the rim. Sitting on the bridge of his nose, those green eyes popped out. But there was another meaning. Was it too hard for him to see what was in front or in the distance? That June, he said, I don't want to turn eight. I want to stay seven. We could only celebrate the passage. The boys from school piled in the condo for the party. A line was formed to play pin the tail on Michael Jackson, followed by a moonwalking contest. Everyone left that day with a gift bag. I received a text a few days later from one of the moms that read, thanks for putting a little fun into her summer, with a picture of her wearing the hat, glove, and mirrored sunglasses. Back in New York, it was sultry that Sunday, walking out of the train station on 34th Street. We needed a cab. It was easier to cross the street and walk a block or two than wait in the line. I heard a voice. It was from a tall and tattered man. He wasn't asking for anything. I placed my hand over Ben's chest as we passed by. He was in the other realm looking at Ben. Take care of your mom. We crossed the street, his eyes still on us. I turned, this time in a harsher voice. It hit me like a laser beam. Take care of your mom. I sat back in the cab. Was I supposed to hear his words? Ben, take care of me? Was he talking about from the other side? Things were shifting, I was fully aware, but I could not go there and chose to dive steadfast into the long week ahead. York in 60 second, please. There was a blueprint revealing radiation. It was hard on him. His cheeks were sunken by the end of treatment and he was losing weight on a cocktail of anti-nausea drugs. Even when the treatment protocols of drugs were written on the back of my hand, there were variations that were new. Reading over the latest trial, this one would test the safety of administering high doses. Everything went fine, and we were heading home. On the corner of the street, my arm was in the air. Mom, that's embarrassing. You do it like this. His right hand facing down with his index and middle finger toward the ground. Sure enough, a yellow and black medallion pulled up. Second grade had started, and he asked me to homeschool him. It had been my dependable construct. If he was in school, somehow life was okay. Kids go to school, a nondescript act. But it was one we might be losing. In a flash, we were back. It was autumn in New York. It was my favorite time of year. The depths and the color and the leaves calling me. The unmasked acceptance of change. There was a crisp breeze blowing, walking toward the hotel. My hands were full of groceries from the market. As I glanced to my right, he was inches from my shoulder. With a book in his hand, we shared the love of passing the time. I smiled as our lanky legs moved easily on the sidewalk. I don't like Ben anymore. Please call me Bobby. It was beyond dispute and, in fact, short for his middle name, Robert. They changed the record at both the hospital and school. Was the reason traceable, not wanting to associate with sick Ben anymore? I could only wish that the name change translated to his healing, a release of the siege of his illness. Both began with the same syllable, B. It would be easy enough to say. 
but the new name was not rolling off the tongue. I would say, hey, little boy. He spiked a fever that trip, and at the hospital, the nurse called out Ben. No, my name is Bobby. The nurse looked at me with a reserved laugh. It only made him cry. The matter he got, the more we laughed. I know, I can't even say it, staring back at her. He had scheduled scans, and his dad offered to take him back. The last time I took him for an MRI was interesting. The procedure required a hard plastic gray mask to be placed over his head. He loathed it. Who could blame him? It was followed by a series of screaming fits. Seeking to reassure him, I was flexed over the machine, steadying his head through the tube. I was so close that the underwire of my bra would continually snap from the magnetic field. They came out smiling, making faces that matched air guitars. We made songs to the rattle of the machine. Leave it to his dad to make a scan fun. I was waiting for the results, trying to work, but there was a compulsion to keep checking my phone. If the news were bad, they would have called by now. I saw the number come in on my cell. I clenched. It was the doctor's assistant. I have Mr. Goldberg on the line if you can hold for the doctor. My palms were clammy and I lost the grip of my phone. I have to say there is new disease and it is back in the bone marrow. My whole body concaved in. I fought to speak. I know we are in a poor situation, and it seems relapses are occurring more often. Now that we have continued to see spots return, are we likely to see more? Yes, it is chronic, but with advanced treatment, it could go away on its own, he said. The conversation confirmed what I knew at my core. We had been told they had named a genetic chromosome that led itself to continue to come back. He stalled on the phone. Where's Ben right now? Right now, gazing at my watch. He's getting out of school. Days later, I told him about the plan for more treatment. I walked into his room. There was a basket of unused toys with a skateboard, tennis racket, and baseball. Lining the other walls were posters of his idols, some framed, others hanging with scotch tape at the corners. You could feel it as you stood in the doorway. The vinyl records lay on the floor with lines of CDs stacked on the rail of his bed. It had the gist of a teenager until you peered in the closet to see a gigantic stockpile of plush stuffed animals he loved. I called him into the living room. He came out and sat on the couch. You know you had scans in New York and there's more disease. We need to do a couple more rounds of chemo. Oh no, you mean chemo? I had lost my hair once, twice, three times, and now I will lose it again? Yes, I said. I don't want to lose my eyebrows this time, he spoke. My heart sank. I held him, praying he could feel my love. When I put my arms around him, his body pulled back and he began to weep. I grabbed the chart. Where do you see yourself? It was an emotional chart from the integrative medicine team in New York. A colored sphere started, an eggplant color very safe, expanding from green to yellow and ending in a tent of fuchsia. He pointed to the very end, out of control. That's where I was when I got the news, too. He headed towards his room. I waited. He came running out. Mom, you said I could get a new game today. My sad face now held a smile. I grabbed my purse. Stay tuned for episode eight, Let It Be, where Ben meets legendary Beatle, Ringo Starr.